1: If you're going through a difficult time, if somebody's criticizing you, if somebody's trying to pull you down, they're that crab in the basket, here's what I want you to know. That has nothing to do with the fact that you're doing something wrong. It has everything to do with you're doing something right. And I learned a long time ago, big people make you feel bigger, and small people make you feel smaller.
0: Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast Hi, guys. It's Rach. Welcome to another episode of the podcast and a conversation today about leadership, or more specifically, high-level leadership. What I mean by high-level leadership are people who you don't just get given the title of boss. You didn't just get promoted to manager. I think of high-level leaders as people who really commit to being great in that role. And it's not something that just happens inside of a business. This can happen in a family. As a high, you know, you you challenge yourself to be a high level leader as a parent. Maybe you're a high level leader in your church community or your synagogue or your mosque. Maybe you're a high level leader in a club that you're a part of or on a team. It doesn't really matter how you lead. It's that you understand that you have the opportunity to lead and you want to do it well. This conversation is part of our mastermind series. Now, this series is based off the idea that we've done this show for almost seven years. And in seven years, we've had hundreds and hundreds of the most amazing teachers, leaders, authors, artists, musicians, you name it. I have had the absolute pleasure of interviewing them here on the show. And some of those episodes are so far back in the catalog, you might not have heard them even though they were fantastic. So the Mastermind series was my way of bringing some of the best nuggets from some of the best guests into today's episodes. So I choose a single topic and then I find what I think are the five best conversations I've ever had about that topic and pull 10 minutes of like bomb fire wisdom from that particular teacher. And today we've got some incredible guests in this episode to teach us about leadership. Number one, the godfather John C. Maxwell literally wrote the book on leadership. Jamie Kern-Lima, who founded and then later sold It Cosmetics for a gajillion dollars. Chris Hogan, who has taught for decades about what it is to be a strong and focused leader. We've got Ken Coleman, we've got Scott Miller. These conversations fired me up so deeply when I got to have them for the first time and I really think they're going to be helpful for you today. Listen to this episode and as always if you dig it I would so appreciate it if you would share with another leader that you think needs to hear this message today.
2: My name's Chris Hogan I've been a part of Ramsey Solutions Dave Ramsey's team for 14 years. Uh, Prior to working with Dave, I was in the banking world. So I've been dealing with money and leadership uh, for over 20 years. And so having an opportunity to have owned my own companies, have gone in, uh, have helped companies with turnarounds, uh, consulting Fortune 100, 200, 500 companies. And so I just have a passion for helping people kind of grow into not only their purpose, but reaching their maximum potential. And so I love talking about money. I love talking about business and leadership. I love coaching people. I love helping people to raise their level of performance, so we can raise our level of impact. Uh, there are two mentalities out there that scare me, Rachel. I'm <laughs> gonna be honest with you. Scarcity mentality scares me because what that means is, is that people have this mindset that there's not enough to go around. So if someone else is doing well, they're taking away from my opportunity. That's not true. You know, if you look at this, we have billions of people on the planet. We've got people we can serve. We just have to focus. So I don't like the scarcity mentality. There's a lot out there for everybody. People just need to get to work. The other one is victim mentality. Now, this one is the most poisonous. Victim mentality is where you're thinking someone else is standing in my way or it's someone else's. I'm blaming someone else that I didn't do X, Y, or Z. And I don't, that mentality scares me because it prevents us from getting better. Because if you're saying the reason I haven't done anything yet or I've not gotten better is because someone is holding me back or someone else is standing in my way, then you'll be limited in what you're willing to try and how hard you keep pushing. Like I'm excited for people that are doing well. And someone else doing well doesn't mean that I can't. So I'm naturally excited for people that are winning, uh, that are doing things, that are working hard, that have paid a price and sacrificed and are winning. So I think have an attitude of being an appreciator. Uh, don't let someone else's success cause you to look at inwardly in what you're not doing. Um, I, I think what we have to do is understand we all have different start points. Like when I did the research, we did the largest research ever on millionaires. We talked over 10,000 of them across the nation. And before I was, as I was writing my book, uh, Everyday Millionaires, how ordinary people built extraordinary wealth and how you can too. I think number one, being an appreciator it helps us to understand what's possible. And we all have different start points. Some of us have had more advantages than others. Others have had some disadvantages more than others. But we all are running the same race, right? We all get to run this race and to be able to give that effort. And so being an appreciator of people that are doing well, but also being an understander, understanding that regardless of where you come from, regardless of where you were born or where you went to school, you have an opportunity to win. You have an opportunity to put yourself on the path and do well. And that's what I found as I did this research. These everyday millionaires, these were people that came from less than nothing. Some of them were homeless at some point in time, but they got consistent and got focused and were willing to sacrifice. So I think if we're an appreciator for people, we're an understander that we can do better, we've got opportunities, we can change the game starting today. If you're doing something that stands for something, you're going to get some hate, Mm, mm -hmm. right? If you're pushing against the norm and you're trying to encourage people, uh, there's a percentage of society that needs to be incarcerated. Okay, they're crazy. I firmly believe (laughs) that. I say it out loud. But I want want you to know, if you're doing something that stands for something, you're going to get some pushback. Here's what you can't do. I remember my first book came out, Retire Inspired. 2016, I was pumped up. I was excited. The first Amazon reviews kind of come out, and I've got 200 of them that are glowing. Yeah. Amazing investments. (laughs) But guess what? That's not the one you know. (laughs) I had the one. He was John A417. I remember this. Okay, (laughs) I shouldn't. But he said, my book wasn't worthy of toilet reading. No. Okay?
0: Oh, man.
2: I looked at the screen. I started to call my buddy that works in the FBI to help yes, me find this yes, man. Yes, yes, How dare he say this about me? But I realized, see, that's our human nature. You can have 200 positive things, but we naturally will glow, go toward that one negative. Yep. And we can't do that. We can't do that. Nowhere in math does 200 ever get outweighed by one. Yeah. And what I want to remind your viewers and your listeners about is, yes, you're going to have people that are jealous, you're going to have people that are drinking hater aid. That's the drink for haters. You're going to have people, <laughs> people that are against you and, and have an issue. But I want you to stay so focused on the kind. I want you to stay focused on the people you've encouraged. That's why I was talking when I was at your event, which was awesome, by the way. Thank you. Um, talking about the importance of writing thank you notes. Mm-hmm. Like thank you notes show your gratitude. And people go back and read those. Yeah. And so I want us to expect Expect people to be crazy, small percent, Mm -hmm. expect some people jealous, expect some people to hate. That's okay. Those are all small percentages. But I want you to expect to make an impact by caring for people that need to hear the message and stay pushing forward. Don't ever forget your goal and mission is to impact people and do a positive thing. We're going to have to walk through negatives Mm -hmm. to continue to do our positives. And here's one of the things, Rachel, people will ask me business owners will say well how do you all find such motivated people or how do you motivate your team and i tell them no no you you got this wrong we hire motivated people yeah right and so it's, it's not my job to keep them motivated. My job is to keep my people moving forward toward the goal. But you, when you find motivated people, it's awesome because they come to work ready to roll. They come to work with their mind clear, understanding what it is you're trying to do. And what it does is it creates a culture of people that have a self-employed mentality. This is one of the things that I want to encourage your business owners out there to create. A self-employed mentality means that people understand that they they control their fate. They are they are plugged in and they are a part of this business and the future of the business relies on their effort and their focus. And when you do that, when you listen to your team members and you give them an opportunity to get direct feedback and you're honest, you know, because leaders most of the time we we're not clear on our expectations. Like we have it in our heads of what we want people to do. But if we don't ever verbalize it, you're actually doing your team member a disservice. And so someone needs to know, hey, I'm expecting you to achieve this, this and this. And this is what we need to happen together as a team. What can I do as a leader to help you do that? How can I help you hit that mark? And so the the mindset of the leader is I need to empower people by delegating to them, not only the authority, but the responsibility to make things happen. But then as the leader, we need to make sure we're supporting people and giving them the tools they need to make that happen. I think my definition of servant leadership is to give others what they need to achieve what they were designed to be. Mm. And I, I say that in as far as I'm wanting to make sure that I'm I'm helping people, right? And especially the people on the team. I, I there it's it's important. Um just earlier, uh, you know, a lady that's on my team was came up to me and she's talking to me about a puppy she's getting, right? She's about to get a puppy. This puppy has nothing to do with our job. This has nothing to do with what we're doing day in and day out. You know what it has to do with? Relationship. Yeah. And when you're to people. You want to know the great things that are going on, the good things, but you also need to know the tough things. And I think the leader that has the most connections, Rachel, to be honest, the leader with the most connections with their team wins. They win because that means the team members trust you enough to talk about things and you want to be available to them to be able to be connected as well. And so it's really this different mind shift. I think most people see leadership as I want to be the power person. I'm the run that's in charge. I'm the power woman in charge or the power guy in charge. And reality is, is we need to get rid of that. We need to kind of flip that. See, old school corporate mentality is everything's about the person at the top. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of showing you the triangle. Everything, everything. Literally, we did this at your event where we flipped that, where it's about the person at the top making it about everyone else. Mm -hmm. And that takes work because you've got to block ego as a leader. you got to block, you know, your pride and all those things. You've got to be committed to helping your team get better. And that's so you're part coach, part cheerleader, but you're also part pusher, meaning I'm wanting to make sure I'm pushing people to grow forward day in and day out. Well, I think it's one of those we've all kind of messed up at that at some point, right? Because we've all had a leader or a boss, you know, that you said, OK, I don't ever want to be like that person. Right. I want to care for my people. And so we've all made the mistake of maybe caring so much that we still didn't communicate. And I think it's the communication factor. Uh meaning, you know, I've got people here that I hang out with and 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 do things with and we're we're friends, but we still know there's a business relationship here.
0: Yeah. And
2: so I think it's matter of us internally setting the ground rules for example you know when you're hanging out you know great we're hanging out but at work you want people to understand i got to put on my 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 leader hat yeah i've got to put on the ceo hat and when i'm wearing that ceo hat you need to understand we're not being buddies i'm being ceo and if you have mature people working with you that have the ability to not also to put on their leader hat or their worker hat or whatever then I think it's a whole lot easier for everybody to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. But regardless, I would rather the leader err on the side of being absolutely clear. Like I feel like it's to be unclear is unkind as a leader. Yes. I'll say it again. To be unclear is unkind as a leader. So what we have to do is make sure we're telling people the expectations. Like I'm amazed how people are worried about conflict. Like leaders will avoid it. Like if someone's showing up late, which is one of my pet peeves, right? if you don't talk about it, but you walk around mad about it Mm -hmm. and you have silent anger, see, silent anger is dangerous for leaders. Oh, it'll eat away at trust and it'll eat away at loyalty because you're going to retaliate at that person in some way at some point. So as opposed to walking around holding it in and then going home and being mad at your spouse or mad at your kid because you didn't tell this person at work what they need to fix, let's go the other route. You don't have to listen. Conflict can get dealt with without everybody getting mad. Right. If someone's late, what you do, you bring them in, you sit down, you say, hey, John, you're doing a great job. I love the work you're doing, but you're showing up late and that needs to stop because when you show up late, you're saying you don't respect the team and you don't respect me. So I like you. I like your performance. I want you to stay. But I want this late mindset, this this lazy mindset or late thing. That has to go. And I'm being real clear. I want the person. I like the person. This behavior needs to go. And I think if we more direct than just that communication and letting people know you get a chance to be clear. You get a chance to be on the same page. And John gets a chance to change or not change the behavior. But moving forward, he knows showing up late isn't an option. And so after the second time of talking about it, I'm going to tell John, John, we have talked about this a couple times. You know, I like you. I like your performance. But this is the last conversation I'm going to have with you about being late. Hey, okay, this is it. And so I need you to know this so you can be aware and you can make some changes. See, John comes out of that conversation knowing clearly, right, the deal. I think when you don't do that with people and you hold the grudge or you you end up being retaliating in some other way, it's not being fair. So I want leaders to be more direct. Notice I didn't get all riled up talking to John. I was just clear and direct.
0: traveltexas.com slash get your own.
3: Well, my name is Jamie Kern Lima, and uh, I am a rebel <laughs> and a, a dreamer, and uh, in, in recent years, figured out how to have enough confidence to just really listen to my gut and do things differently, not be afraid to. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur and have built a a billion-dollar business by doing things differently. And And just, I just want to, billion
0: dollars with a B. If you are listening, (laughs) billion dollars, because the amount of women who can say that is very small. Mm. So I just want to acknowledge that for a minute because it's spectacular.
3: I'm I'm a passionate problem solver. You know, I, I sort of... I'm usually just so passionate about solving my own problems, but really so I can share that um, solution with other women. You know, sometimes sometimes when especially when you're an entrepreneur, you don't know what you don't know. And at the time I thought we would go in and crush it and still like we would be but we didn't have the money to, to, for, or the operational efficiencies to have the right team to be able to afford, you know, the right fixtures to to be able to hire an educational team that can train the store staff. Like all of these things uh, that, that that I didn't know. So we would have gone in and failed. So it was either that they didn't try the product or that they saw that we were too small or we weren't ready. Um, but it was it was years and years of no's, and the only way we stayed alive was that women were trying Bye Bye Under Eye Concealer, posting their own before and afters online, spreading the word. So that we grew um, by this sort of like authentic, like advocacy of women, like wanting to tell someone because it had made an impact on their life. I see companies all the time, even in, in the beauty space, that right away they're in retailers and in stores and have so much press. And they're sort of like, Cool right away before they actually know how to truly build and sustain things like their infrastructure or anything else. And so many of them fail. Um but but the truth is, Rachel, at the time, if I had a choice, I would have wanted <laughs> yeah. it instantly. Like, Give it to me, mean, me right now. I was driving so hard and wanted it so bad for unremittingly for so long, thank God my prayers were not answered at the time <laughs> because had we had we gotten yeses sooner than we did, we wouldn't have made it. And the other thing is the way that it happened, our first big yes was QVC. And what I didn't know at the time was because we launched on QVC first, it enabled us to be successful in stores, if, you know, especially if your listeners right now are, are feeling like whether they're rejected or they're, you know, or, or people around them are telling them their idea is not good. That's another big thing, by the way. What I know now is if you're doing something innovative that no one's done before, of course, everyone out there that's a buyer or this, or, they're going to tell you they're not sure it's going to work or they don't think it's going to work because it's never been done before. Yeah. So it's never worked before. Yeah. Sometimes people just don't don't have that same vision that you have. So they just don't get it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish I knew that at the time because there were a lot of people that I would sort of like hold on pedestals in the beauty industry and they were all saying I, they don't think this is a good idea. And so it's so hard not to let those no's sort of like translate into into doubt in your own head of your idea, of your of your vision when you know something yeah. deep down inside, yes. you can listen to everyone else um, or you go with it. Yeah. Time and time again, whether it was hearing from retailers, what we need to do different with our products or had it, had we ever listened, we would have never grown our brand to, to, to be what it is. Mm-hmm. and, and, and it was women that spread the word and and it also helped me understand there's this need to communicate with women in this way mm-hmm. about their own beauty. And then the, the number of emails we get from women saying, I feel beautiful for the first time ever or for the first time in a long time, mm-hmm. it, it has nothing to do with our products. Yeah. I mean, I love our products and I think they're life changing. It is about being confident enough in a message and wanting to change the conversation to not just put our shot on the line mm-hmm. to do it. But, you know, we've tried to shape our whole company around it. Yeah. And doing things differently is is why L'Oreal offered to, to buy our business because they can create their own brands for free, mm-hmm. right? They could do it for free. They don't need to pay over a billion dollars yeah. to buy a business, but you can't fake authenticity, number one. And, and so I don't think they could just build something for free and try to replicate it. And we were doing something differently. And even though they have 30 plus brands, they didn't have anything like it cosmetics. And yeah. so doing it differently is what made all the difference. Yeah. I could talk for two hours just about the entrepreneurial journey of going from thinking like, oh my gosh, one day I'm going to be able to afford to hire people. My life <laughs> is going to be so much easier and oh, better. Yes. And then once you start hiring people... You all of a sudden have a whole new job yes. of managing them, and then once you once you get successful, other people see that, and you know tr- your competitors try to steal your employees. Like there's so many challenges with that, um, but separate from all that, it's also such a great feeling that you and and your community, your your your, your customers, your supporters, are are part of. Of creating the livelihoods uh for those people that also believe in your mission. Um, it, it building that is amazing. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. Hard. Amen. But it's amazing. Yeah. And and the pressure is so intense. And the only way I got through it wasn't about hitting those numbers. It was about remembering like who i was doing it for. Yeah.
0: And,
3: and and it's the only way i i i didn't get physically sick to my stomach when we'd miss numbers. Yeah. Because i knew it at the end of the day it's not about that. It's about women that need to see and re redefine what beauty is in their own for themselves. Yeah. Um, and for their own confidence. Yeah. And in the very beginning when i first got rosacea, Things that I, I I've never said out loud or admitted, by the way, but they were things like, "Oh my gosh, will men find me attractive anymore?" Yeah. "Oh my gosh, is this going to hurt my career?" "Yes. Uh, oh my gosh, and you know X Y Z these these major insecurities." And then what happened for me was I shifted everything I believe about it because showing it. Uh, on national television, my bright red rosacea. It, it it was it was about something way more important for me than than any of those things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I felt like it was so so all of a sudden, showing my rosacea was was really helping what I felt was gonna change the whole conversation about beauty. And by the way, fast forward ten years, almost every single luxury beauty brand now shows before and afters. Yeah. Almost every single luxury beauty brand is stopping photoshopping them, thank God, because mm-hmm. like that's not real. Yeah. I mean there's they still there's still plenty that do it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But uh and a lot of beauty brands now And retailers that told me this idea wasn't good, now they're doing it where they're showing before and afters with problematic skin, real women, uh, all ages. I just think like I shifted in my own head from being so insecure and having those limiting thoughts, or Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to say it, but to truly believing my rosacea was a a gift, was a blessing, was... And even now, I'll go to the grocery store, no makeup on, and people will say, Oh, like one recently, one person's like, Oh, do you have a sunburn? And, oh, yeah. um, right. Yeah. And, uh, but now I'm like, No, but it's like I've, I literally believe that and feel so confident yeah. about my rosacea. Yeah. And I believe it's beautiful to show it because I believe it's doing something bigger than myself. Sure. So I can sit here and say that, yet, I don't remember the last time I went out in a swimsuit anywhere. Mm. Right? So, why is that? Yeah. And and what I'm obsessed with is I want to solve that problem. Yeah. And I, I figured out how to do it with my rosacea, but how do I do it with my body or with anything else? Yeah. And more than that, how does every single woman do that? Yeah.
0: To me, being healthy national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
1: The only guarantee that you and I or any of the listeners that we have today Rachel, the only guarantee that we have that tomorrow is going to get better is that we're growing today. It's the only guarantee. I'm today preparing my future by what I'm doing, and, and I tell people every day, every day you're either preparing or repairing. You're either Rachel, you're trying to fix yesterday and go back and say, "Oh crap, I wish I wouldn't have done that." Ah, <laughs> God, I, I've got to go fix that. You know what I'm saying? We're we're Absolutely. either we're we're either living today repairing something we did yesterday or. Because we're learning and growing and improving, we're preparing for our future. And our setup for tomorrow is being done right now. That's why my mentor, John Wooden, would say, make every day your masterpiece. And it was a powerful statement. And it taught me that you've got to make the very best use of today. So when I think of the 15 laws of growth, it allows people to have a, a game plan, to understand what those laws are and begin to practice those laws within, within their life. A long time ago, I, I realized there's a difference between people who win and people who don't win. And, and in my kind of caustic, sarcastic days, younger, I used to call them the difference between a winner and a whiner. You see, a whiner wants to feel good before they do something. And a winner wants to do something so they can feel good.
0: Ooh, yes.
1: And there's a world of difference between those two kinds of people. And if I'm waiting for, you know, something to just kind of motivate me or something to kind of like pick me up before I go do what I need to do, I'll never do it. it it's It's an issue of I, if I do the right thing, I get the right response if i do the wrong thing i i i I get the wrong response consistency compounds rachel it compounds and when we consistently do the right thing we we someday reap some major major reward for it but it doesn't compound in the first week or the first month and that's why people having the ability to stay in the game and stay with it are the ones who come out of the game as the big winners so so you take some you know some young lady who is just graduated from college, so she's going across the stage to get her diploma. Her family's waiting on the other side. They've got flowers. They've got gifts. They're going to go out and have dinner. They're going to party. And they're hugging her and kissing her and jumping up and down and taking pictures. And they're saying, congratulations, congratulations. You made it. You're a success. You're a college graduate. Let me tell you something. That young lady who got that diploma didn't become a success the day she got the diploma. She became a success the day she's decided to go to college. Mm -hmm. She became a success the day she's decided to go to class. She became a success the day that she decided to study for the test. She became a success the day she said, I'll go to the second year of school. Every day she's in college on the right track. She's a success right now. It just shows up at the end. And so when people are... Oh, yeah. So when people are going through a difficult time and they say, crap, I'm, I'm not doing well today. You're doing very well. You're having a crappy day, but you're doing very well. You're already you're already successful. But but here's the point. All the success that she is doesn't get recognized unless she finishes. And so when I am having my difficult times, I focus on not what's happening to me, but what's going to happen for me if I stay the yeah. course. And yeah. it, having that long range look really, I think, keeps us in the game sometimes. We get excited about our dreams. And, and I love people who have a dream. It's, it keeps everybody in the game. We, we love the dream. We love the dream. But, but the dream, we love it because it's free. You can sit around a table and dream about what you want to be someday, what you want to do someday, what you want to accomplish in your life. And you just sit around and get so excited about that dream. And what I've learned is, uh, Rachel, the dream's free but the journey isn't. And and the moment that I take a step into my dream, now all of a sudden, I've I've told a person one time, I said, motion causes friction. As Mm. As long as I don't move, there's no friction. Everybody's happy. In fact, they're happy for me to tell them about their dream. But the moment that I start moving, there are forces that want to keep us from realizing our potential and our very best. And there is a price to pay for the dream. There's a there's a process here that we need to go through. And and so when people don't reach their dream, it's not because they don't have a valid dream, it's because they were unwilling to pay a price. I wrote a book several years ago called Put Your Dream to the Test. And and I had a life changing conversation. I was speaking in Las Vegas at a convention and I was out with some friends for dinner before I was going to speak that night, and I told him I was writing a book on how to put your dream to the test. And one of the people at the table said to me, he said, John, I have realized the more valid reasons you have to achieve your dream, the higher the odds are that you will. And all of a sudden it hit me how true this is, that if I only have one reason to achieve my dream, maybe I want to be famous or whatever, I don't know what the reason is. If I only have one reason, when I start this journey, because it's uphill all the way and because there are a lot of difficulties and there are going to be people that uh, aren't going to take the trip with me and they're going to criticize me while I'm on it. If I only have one valid reason to achieve a dream, I'll drop out pretty quick. But what happens if I have seven or eight good reasons to achieve this dream? Now I've got reasons to stay in the game and 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 to continue to go uphill and one of the things i have i realized very quickly when when i started to move forward average people want you to stay average rachel yeah and and so here's what here's the, the moment you say i think i want to rise above average this makes every average person nervous they go oh my gosh he's going to leave me she's going to leave me because I'm going to stay average and I'm not going to pay that price and I'm not going to go to that distance and I'm not going to turn the other cheek and I'm not going to walk the second mile. And, And so basically they do their best to pull us back down. And I'm talking today to a lot of people that you either have someone in your life that doesn't want you to rise above average or that you're facing something in your life where you're going to have to give a lot more effort, a lot more energy, a lot more thought, into getting through it because it's a difficult time. And the, that this part of the uphill journey, it's almost like straight uphill. And I just, I just want you to know that life is not easy and success is even more difficult. When people say, well, it's not, you know, life's kind of tough. I say, yes, but let me tell you when it's really tough is when you want to make something with your life. Now it's, now you've taken toughness to a whole new level. And then Rachel, if you want to be a leader, the hill just got steeper. Because now you not only need to climb the hill, but you need to encourage other people to climb the hill. I mean, it's one thing to have a tough life and do it on your own, but it's entirely different to have a tough life and you're helping other people go over these obstacles and over these mountains too. And so all of a sudden, life begins to increase greater. So if you're going through a difficult time, if somebody's criticizing you, if somebody's trying to pull you down, they're that crab in the basket, here's what I want you to know. That has nothing to do With the fact that you're doing something wrong. It has everything to do with your doing something right. Mm -hmm. Most people, that's the way they live their life. And they want to make everybody around them a little bit smaller than them. And I learned a long time ago big people make you feel bigger, and Mm -hmm. small people make you feel smaller. And so every time, every time I get somebody criticizing me, uh, now, by the way, let me just say something it stings, it hurts. I always object to these people who say, well, you know, just don't pay any attention to it. Well, hello, what are you, numb? Are you, you know, are you deaf? <laughs> are you dumb? Are you, I mean, yeah. well, I, let me, let, what, what kind of issues do you have in your life? What do you mean don't pay attention to it? We all care about how people care about us. I mean, that, that, a person tells me, well, I really don't care what they think. I, I just, I have a hard time really believing they're authentic because I do care. And you know why I care? Because I care for people. And if you care for people, you care what they think because you, Rachel, spend your entire life trying to make people's life better. That's what you do. You try to add value to people every day. And when somebody doesn't add value to you, you do a you, you do a turn. You go, "Whoa, I got whiplash here. What happened? I'm just trying to help people." That's my that's the game I'm playing is I'm trying to help people and obviously this person doesn't like it. I mean, it's kind of like if I robbed a bank, I know I would be criticized, but I'm not robbing a bank. I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to do the right thing. But here's what I've discovered and I just want you to go to the go to the bank on this and here's what I know. I know this for sure. If you're really growing and helping people and developing your life and finding your purpose and and your God calling and reaching your potential, you will never have a day that you won't be criticized. You will never have a day that there's not someone that will want to take you and bring you back down in the basket. It's a fact of life. So I'm not calloused by it. I still care, but I'm also not distracted by it. And this is the key. Nehemiah said, I am building a wall. Yeah. I can't come down. I'm so sorry. And here's the key. If you're doing something so big, what the little people say won't distract you because you're so in love with the wall that you're building that you just say, I can't come down today. I'm building a wall
4: having a conversation is where the world begins to even out yeah. because anybody can use a conversation as a wonderful learning tool. And it could be one question, one comment that changes your trajectory mm-hmm. and anybody anywhere can have a conversation. It doesn't have to be with the best-selling author, uh, you know, or a thought leader, but just the idea of how can I learn? Who can I learn from? And if you constantly have that radar up, I think it is the ultimate game changer. It can put you on even footing with anybody in the world.
0: Absolutely.
4: My primary role is performer. Now, my secondary role is coach. So I have to always be in a situation where I am performing, but I'm performing to coach. Not. That's why I'm not doing sports radio. I love sports. I could talk football all day long, but if I was doing sports radio today, I would feel empty in about six weeks Mm -hmm. because I would be performing, but I would not be performing for the purpose of coaching. So you have to retreat back to the why. So good. And and so when you get to the why, you say, well, why did I want to go into politics? So you've got to dig really deep. And so what you're looking for there practically are patterns, clues, as I tell my callers on the Ken Coleman show, let's look for clues. So there's three basic questions that I'll give uh, your audience. When you're trying to get clarity on why, ask these three questions. Who do I most want to help? Second question is, what problem do I most want to solve? And the third question is, what solution do I most want to provide? Now, your audience, they know that that's basically the same question. It's asked three different ways because it's a psychological technique, and it's trying to get your brain and your heart to connect. And so when you focus on that, really get deep. Imagine the people. Who are they? What do they look like? What are their problems? And, 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 and really ask yourself, well, why does my heart lean towards this group? But this exercise, Rachel, those three questions, if you really write them down and write out the answers, and I'm a pencil guy because I believe in writing in pencil. Write it down one night before you go to bed. Wake up the next morning. Get quiet before the hubs, the kids, whoever else is involved is up. And look at it, erase it, rewrite it. And what will happen over time, your heart will continue to clarify it. And so that's what you do when you feel like you've got some redirection coming in your life. Retreat to your why, because that's always going to give you the most clarity. Well, you got to start small and grow slow. That's the advice I give to entrepreneurs. It's the advice I give to anybody who's starting from scratch to live the dream. Uh, life is so overwhelming in and of itself. When you look at Mount Everest and you get clarity on that, if you try to climb it in one day, uh, you're going to get paralyzed. You won't even take the first step. So for me, you clarify and verify by getting out there and doing the small stuff. You know, and that's why we wrote the book, the proximity principle, just get around people that are doing it and in places where what you want to do is happening so that you can clarify, yes, that's not bad pizza. This is my heart. <laughs> Did you know, Rachel, that the World Health Organization just deemed burnout a medical condition?
0: What? That is crazy. Okay, so, so
4: I'm so glad you reacted that way. So here's what I want people to hear. What you're feeling is real. When you tell Rachel you're burned out, what you're feeling is real. So we are not minimizing that. But I, I did a, I did a segment on Fox and Friends on this, and I wrote an article on this about burnout's not real. It's buildup.
0: Mm, that's
4: good. There's, causes of buildup and i just love to give this to your audience because it, it's a game changer so here they are five causes that makes you feel burned out but you're only burned out as cheesy as this sounds no one is burned out until you 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 die that's when the flame is extinguished if you're alive and listening right now you have a fire i think it's covered up by a lot of junk here's five things number one you don't have any passion for the jobs what rachel was just talking about you, you, you just don't love the work you're good at it but you don't love it, and, and, and so that's number one reason for buildup. Number two, toxic environment. Nasty, mean, backbiting, gossiping people around you or a really bad leader. Uh, toxic Toxicity causes buildup. The third thing is uh, you're overwhelmed. You don't know how to say no, or you're so valuable that people just keep piling stuff on you, and you can barely – breathe. And so I don't care how much you love your work, Rachel, if you come into the office on Monday morning, and as soon as you step in, you're trying not to drown, that's going to cause buildup on the heart. The fourth cause of buildup uh, is, is, is being underappreciated. So uh, we know from HR studies that the number one thing that employees want is recognition and reward, not compensation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Every guy and lady out there is a little boy and a little girl who just wants to hear, had a boy, had a atta girl, yep. good job. Uh, and then the fifth thing is you're bored. So we see this with a lot of high achievers. They'll call my show and they'll say, Ken, I, I feel like I got to switch careers, but I don't know what to switch to. And I always want to say, Well, why do you want to switch? And if I find out that they're bored, it's like you're doing the right thing in the wrong place. You need a new challenge, but you don't need to do new work. You love the work. You loved it about 10 months ago, but you mastered it. Now you're bored out of your skull.
0: Yeah, that's good. So
4: I think those are the five causes. I think there's probably more, but those are the five that I've identified from my callers. And I'm so glad you bring up burnout. And so what happens when, when one of or, or all five of those could be at play? What do you do? Well, you've got to diagnose one of those five things. Then the practical thing you've got to do is, okay, well, I've got to alleviate that. So, So if I'm in a toxic culture, I can get this from teachers a lot. Well, I'm not going to give up teaching. I want to teach young people. I want to instruct and guide the next generation. Well, let's do it somewhere else. And and so we're doing the right thing in the wrong place. So whatever it is, any of those five, we go, okay, that's the problem. So now I know how to alleviate that problem. And most of the time you're going to have to change locations, but it's not always changing careers. That's a really big mistake a lot of people make. And then they call and go, oh, I thought it was this, and now it's not. And then they retreat back to the one thing they really love, but now in the right environment. Leadership is tough. Mm-hmm. It is
5: unrelenting. It's sometimes very unrewarding. It's not for everyone. I think not everybody should be a leader of people. I think our industry has foisted on the, the world that everybody should be a leader. And I think that is actually quite hazardous. Mm-hmm. And we shame people where they don't want to become a leader. I think people have leadership capabilities. Lead a project, lead an initiative, lead your family. That doesn't mean you should be leading people on the team. Mm. It's just fine to be an individual producer. And I think too many organizations make their career tracks. You can't get promoted if you don't become a leader of people. And I think that's a horrible thing. I think too often people are lured into leadership and they're not led. Because what happens is you would promote the wrong people. You promote the best digital designer the best dental hygienist, the best salesperson, and the competencies that those people have that make them the best digital designer rarely make them the great leader of people. Mm-hmm. Or do they want to be a leader of people? And they, they have to have high courage conversations and outside their comfort zone. And then they hate that leadership job and they quit. Yeah. And now the company's lost the best digital designer and their leadership pipeline and no one knows why. I don't believe leaders are born. I think people are born and maybe artists are born. I don't know, I'm not an artist in terms of classic art. I, I think leadership is a developed skill. Mm-hmm. I do think that, that anybody could become a great leader if they're willing to move outside their natural comfort zone enough. Let me rewind a little bit. I think that culture is every organization's most valuable asset. That will be yours. It won't be her. It won't be your husband. It won't be your books or your website. It'll be your culture inside this company. And that's a bit of a buzzword right now, but it is absolutely true. 30 years In this organization, if I have any expertise, it's around how do you build a great culture. This adage that people are an organization's most valuable asset, you've heard that? Totally not true. It's bunk. You are not this company's most valuable asset. How you and you get along together, that is what makes this company rock. If you two can forgive each other, because she talks too much and you come to work too late, you get the point, right? If you can forgive each other, If you can pre-forgive each other, if you can trust each other, if you can understand what are her strengths and what are her weaknesses, and you can build compliment, that is this organization's most valuable asset. That is your killer app. How the people work at this company, that's what will make you scale. So, so what is the role of leadership? Leaders create culture. Leaders are the linchpin in any organization with culture because you create culture in every interaction, every email, every text, Every time you put somebody in BCC, don't use BCC. There's no reason for that. Because then you create a suspicious culture. But leaders create culture in every interaction. Every time you walk from one building to the next or one cubicle and you're on your phone versus saying hi to someone, how's it going? You're creating or destroying culture. So you have to be very deliberate around the kind of culture you want. All your actions, behaviors, everything you say, every interaction you're building culture. People don't quit their jobs, they quit their boss.
0: That's so good, that's in the book. It's that's not, it's not original so to me. Good.
5: But more importantly, they also quit their culture. Because you can change bosses out, right? You can move someone around, but if your culture is one where everybody's gossiping and backbiting, you don't trust each other, that's your culture. Mm-hmm. If your culture is, you pre-forgive, you don't confess other's sins, you sit in the cubicle and say, can I tell you? I'm feeling there's some awkwardness between us, something's going on, perhaps something I said, I'm totally willing to, to cop to it, but I'm not quite sure what's going on, it's kinda of thick in here. Can we just have, that?" that's culture. Mm you got to work on it because your culture can devolve to the lowest level or you can go to the highest level. So to your point, leadership can be learned. But I don't, again, think everybody should be a leader of people. Leadership may not be the right role for you because the biggest gift you can give someone in your team is to help them see their blind spots. We all have them. If I'm going too long, stop me. No, this is like my dream. We aren't as punctual. We're not as smart. We're not as creative. We're not as self-aware. Our breath doesn't smell as good. My wife says I'm not as funny as I think I am. But everybody's got blind spots. And the biggest gift you can give someone as a leader is to have the courage to sit them down and talk about them in private, not discuss them, perhaps role-play them with Rachel or her husband. You get the point, right? That's the biggest gift you can give someone. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is most people have pansy leaders. Well intended, but don't summon the courage to sit down and say, we need to have a conversation. I've seen this behavior four or five times in meetings. I don't know why, but you're really struggling with ever letting somebody else take the credit. Mm. Or you're just, everything's on your own hard drive. You've gotta put the files in the server so everybody can access them because you're not the only talented person in this organization. You've gotta trust other people. It's those kind of conversations that you gotta have. The problem is most leaders don't do that. So great leaders have a balance of high courage but also high consideration, right? They have this diplomacy. I don't have that. I'll talk about anything with anybody. The biggest gift you can give your people is to sit down in a respectful way, have a straightforward conversation, and then lockbox. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it at lunch with the other managers. Respect that person's, you know, uh, brand. The biggest cancer in every organization, and I speak four or five times around the world every week, is gossip. It is the biggest cancer in every say it organization. Say again
0: for the people in the back.
5: Yeah, are they the big gossipers in the back? No, no, no. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yes,
0: Kevin is terrible,
5: always talking trash. Uh, but this, this is profound, and not because I'm saying it, because it is true, that you will never say something about someone when they are in your absence differently than if they were present. Meaning, from this point forward, make your culture here be When someone is not at lunch or not in the meeting or not at the coffee bar or across the street, you don't speak about them any differently than if they were sitting right in front of you. It will change your standard at 11 o'clock today. It's called being loyal to the absent because if you wanna build trust with those who are present, you are loyal to those who are absent. You build trust with others through your behavior. You earn the right to be called trustworthy because other people trust you based on your encounters. And if you wanna build trust with someone and you're in a conversation and it's getting catty or gossipy and someone tries to draw you in, you say, you know, I'm sure it isn't your intention, but I'll bet you that would hurt Rachel's feelings if she heard that. So my advice to you is go tell Rachel that directly. And if I had that same experience, I'll do the same. People will tell you what they need you to know. You will ask what you want to know. And I think that is a profound, not just leadership skill, but interpersonal skill. Move off of your own agenda. Move off of your own timeline and be selfish and really get into what the other person is feeling and thinking.
1: The
0: Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.